to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. Sam Perez is here to speak with me about a very interesting passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Welcome, Sam. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Um, this, is, uh, this is a really unique set of um, passages here, uh, yeah. two very kind of distinct things being talked about, and, and I'm really excited to speak with you about it. But um, before we do that, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Uh, yeah, so my name is Sam. Uh, I grew up in kind of the the suburbs of Dallas, Texas, in a pretty conservative, evangelical, grew up Assemblies of God, if you know if you know what they're about. That's still part of that kind of first wave Pentecostalism that I uh, grew up in. At first, went to a very small church of like 40-some people on our busiest days. And that was kind of the first part of, part of my life. Getting closer to junior high, we moved in, closer into, further into the suburbs, went to not like a mega church. I call it like a macro church because it wasn't like, you know, multi-campus satellite messages. But we had three services and, you know, had our had our professionally printed small group brochures, all that, you know, pretty big, pretty, pretty big suburban, big church. And throughout my whole kind of church upbringing in that world, I was the I was on fire. I was the golden child. I was in, you know, <laughs> I was in the youth group leadership from as soon as I was able to, because the youth group leader saw like, oh, man, this kid takes this real seriously and they talk pretty. So let's get them. Let's get them up there. This is this is helpful. Um, and so I was I was in, as involved as I could be from day one. I was at church three, four times a week for different, you know, different events. I was uh, I was homeschooled. And so we did, you know, when we were doing the 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 once a week, like co-op meetings, that was at the church building. So I like I lived I lived at church growing up and I was into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, like with how kind of, you know zealous I was for it and how, you know, how much of a nerd I was about it. You know, the more I was you know researching, the more I was looking into it, the more I was trying to, you know, get my faith as strong as possible. These, you know, a lot of as you go, questions build up in the background and stuff that like, mm, this doesn't, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And this doesn't seem to hold up. But but it was fine. You know, I was I was a, I was a good soldier. I believed that the the answers would come. I'm just some I'm just some kid. Like, what do I know? <laughs> after mm-hmm. um, after high school, it was interesting because it was a weird mix of my parents being proud, but also worried because I was going to go into ministry and I was going to be a youth pastor. I went to this local um Bible college and even, I don't know, college is almost a strong word for it because they're not accredited. They're not, you know, it's not like a, it's not a liberal arts degree. It is a closer to a vocational school in that it is just kind of a feeder school for 
charismatic churches in the area and in their missions field kind of all over the world. But it was a very it was a very strange place to go. Um, I had a friend who described it as not a cult, but it wants to be one when it grows up. Um, and that was kind of <laughs> the vibe because, you know, I, you know, the, my upbringing was pretty charismatic. They were very charismatic. One of the majors you could get there was like miracle healing. Uh, so that was the uh, wow. that was the <laughs> that was uh, the world I then kind of sunk myself into for a couple of years. And like one of the things I was most excited about was that they had a course there you could take and you had to take on creation science. And it was, you know, the science behind why the earth is absolutely 4,000, 6,000 years old. And it was a thing I always kind of had like intellectual problems with, but I was like, no, like now I'm excited. I'm going to see like some of the big guys like talk to us here. Like the guy who teaches that class is known in the creation science world. And um, when I took his class, it was one of my first big moments of just kind of reading through his stuff and going, oh, this is a bad argument. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is one of like the guys and this is bad. And, and uh, that was the, like it, it didn't completely break me, but I was like, huh, OK, that's weird. Um but I, I can push through. I can push through. Um, but so I did. I was at that school for a couple of years uh, for a bunch of different reasons, decided that ministry was not kind of or at least like direct ministry from there was not what I was doing. I pivoted to a um, to an accredited university that they had a partnership with that would take their credits. Um, I instead w went on a path to become like a math teacher, ended up deciding to not do teaching and just doing like a general math degree. And I ended up getting a internship at the National Institutes of Health in D.C. And so um, the whole time I was at that uh, that college, I was building, you know, building more questions and kind of taking taking my own path a little bit. But it was still just kind of like a pile up of concerns building up in the background. I was OK with like, well, all right, maybe there's traditions that don't need to believe in young Earth creations. And I was starting to make friends that it was all still kind of, you know, the kinds of friends that go to Baptist schools. But still, they had different perspectives on things. And then by the time I moved to D.C., when I started going to a church there and I went to this kind of local big mega church. And after a couple services, I'm like, I don't know if this is valuable to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just got I, something about that service overwhelmed me with the sense of like, I think maybe the only reason we're here is to keep people behaving in a way that makes like powerful people comfortable. And I just something about the vibe shook me real hard. And so I didn't go to church for a long time. And I started making lots of different friends because now I'm, at, you know, now I'm in D.C., you know, I'm in the National Institutes of Health. My friends are not church friends. And just kind of as happens, like it's starting to get real hard to stay really firmly rooted in this belief that, like, you know, my tribe of religious people are the only people actually capable of being good or having love or like. <laughs> you know, living good lives. And that was the point where I kind of panicked and I was lo looking for it to get back into church. And I weirdly had my feet in kind of two worlds, you know, like I had, I really wanted to get involved in kind of the more liberal churches that had a social justice focus and were LGBT affirming. But I just found so many of like the ways people got to those stances to be just, I don't know, not intellectually compelling. Like, I felt there was a lot of like, yeah, no, we believe the Bible. And also, uh, we think it's 
we're LGBT affirming because we want to be. And I'm like, I, like, I don't know, like, I want to be too, but can you just do that? <laughs> so like with the kind of just intellectually, like it felt intellectually dishonest. And so I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to double down and like, I'm going to give this a good college try. And so I started going to a much more conservative, much more reformed church that still had kind of like, I, I liked them because they had a social justice focus, kind of like they had just had a different outlook on the world than a lot of the more theologically conservative people that I grew up with. And I was like, all right, let's try to make this work. And so this is the, this place was reformed Presbyterian. You know, women couldn't preach and women couldn't be elders. And, you know, like they were like, all right, even if the Bible says uncomfortable things, we believe it. We're going to take this intellectual exercise seriously of making this our text. And like I did that for a while. I really like the people that I met there. I'm still friends with several of them. But just after a while, it's like, all right, I can't I can't do this. <laughs> like <laughs> I like I gave it my best shot. I have too many questions. I have I have I don't know. I've seen too much. And <laughs> I was like, all right, I need to go my own way. And I, w- I went through another period of not going to church for a while. And I'm stepping back into it. I've been reading a lot, a lot of other books. I have found people whose ideas I respect and who are being honest and who are like really thinking hard about a lot of this. And I'm in kind of the beginnings of a new phase of being open about like who I am and what I'm thinking. Cause like this whole time, like it was like good 10 years of me being just radio silent online from a period, like I would growing up, like I used to write a bunch. I had a blog, it was huge. And like, I was posting on it constantly and I would make like MySpace and Facebook posts and about whatever I was thinking about anything. And then I just, you can watch all my online presence. I stopped. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm scared of the things I think now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm just really now tiptoeing back into like, all right, I am being open about the things I believe and the things I think and giving this, another try from another perspective. I'm, I'm, I found another, I found a church I'm going to, and I'm studying the Bible again Hmm. without being afraid of finding the things I find in it. And it's just, (laughs) yeah, I'm in an interesting place. And so it's really good to be here. It's good to kind of be talking about this because I don't just going on a public thing and talking about the Bible is a really big step for me because I was really scared of doing that for a really long time. (laughs) That's such a fascinating story. I mean, it 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 seems like you've kind of uh, been through many twists and turns in like the river of faith. Uh, oh yeah, it, it doesn't always land us in one place, right? It yep. sometimes <laughs> just takes us um takes us where we need to go, not where we want to go. And yeah, um, yeah. I appreciate you sharing all that with me. I, it's <laughs> um I'm sure feels a little exposing to know that like to 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 express that there have been times where not only have you had the doubt, but you've had this moment of, no, 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 I'm going to do this again. I'm going to try this again. And eventually going, oh, well, that didn't work either. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Uh, just being able to, I don't know, letting like that second, this last, you know, the last good try on really conservative theology. Like the difference was like, all right, I'm trying this again and I am letting myself take notes this time. (laughs) And I don't know, that, that was a good exercise. And being honest with myself and the things that the things that I'm thinking, uh, like there was a phrase that I think it's Pete ends uses a phrase of like, finally letting yourself look with both eyes open. And uh, that resonates with me a lot. <laughs> uh, scripture can be really slippery and Pete ends in particular does a great job of expressing how some Christians have found, um, found the need to 
um, express that they are worshiping God, that they trust in God, and that the Bible is a tool for them to do that, but maybe not the end of their faith, the beginning and end of their faith, that their relationship with God takes precedent over um, a book that, as we read through it on this show, we find so many things that are challenging and so many things that are frustrating, um, so many things that feel like contradictions. Yeah. Um, and so many rules that are impossible to live up to. <laughs> yeah, one of the big one of the big things that helped me more than I think anything, and it's funny because it reminds me of the vibe I've gotten as I've like you know listened to your show and gotten involved with you know with Bible study groups again. Was when I was in uh, when I was going to the Baptist college. A few of my friends from church that I grew up with, we we you know we hadn't been going to church as much because it was you know it was college. We were busy. And, you know, just things change. And then all of us were kind of starting to have the inklings of like, I, we kind of want to do this differently, maybe. But <laughs> we started a Bible study group that was just like, it was, it was our group of friends. And we met in the middle of the week at a friend's house. And we stuck with this format for like years. Uh, we just pick a book and pick a book of the Bible and just read through it. And like we take turns, like who's going to come with the questions for the day, like someone like someone is in charge of at least one of us is going to read it really carefully and come up with questions to talk about. But we would pick a book kind of at random, like just like whatever we were vibing with when it was time to pick a book. Mm -hmm. And we'd read and we'd read through the whole thing and we'd talk about it. And it's it was funny, like having grown up in church and being the, you know, the golden child youth group leader, just so much stuff that like when your entire diet is sermons given in institutional churches like there's just stuff that you never had the context for it or it never even got talked about like i remember i think our first book was judges and i remember reading samson and being like well this guy sucks like no one ever taught us how much samson sucked <laughs> and just it was i think a lot a lot of us uh pretty much all of the people from that group have been on pretty complicated journeys now and i think we owe a lot to you know our willingness to just be like let's just let's read this and talk about it and just be, be open about what you're thinking <laughs> yeah uh far be it for me to assume that i have any kind of authority uh to to give advice <laughs> to any other christians but i would say that just speaking from experience um being surrounded by christians who won't allow you to ask the questions that you want to ask um, is an unhealthy yeah. place to be. Uh, you should absolutely feel um, welcomed to ask those questions, to bring these issues to light, and maybe you won't come up with an answer for them, but at least you are wrestling with it. Yeah. No, kind of the beginning of the end of my chapter in the like super reformed church was we were doing a Bible study on Jonah and I like I brought up something it was and we were we had a we had a book we were going through with it and like early on there's kind of this literary thing that happens in Jonah where like at the beginning there's a bunch of up like there's a like at the beginning there's a bunch of down language like every verb in the opening part of Jonah that has a direction to it is a downward one and then mm -hmm. like when he has his turnaround the like that's the first time upward verbs appear and like to me like that like i just noticing that it's kind of a cool literary device it's kind of like you know 
film school 101 you know like that's the kind of it's the same kind of thing that like you know like parasite got the oscar for like oh look this guy's always below this guy in frames and just pointing that out like (laughs) then that came up in the bible study like i got this look like almost this kind of like how dare you like literary stuff (laughs) this is a history book why would you talk about literary things like like there was there was like a threat to taking any lens other than this is an eyewitness account of things that absolutely happened and i just felt so like stifled and so like oh i can't do this i can't do this anymore (laughs) i think the most frustrating thing to me about the inerrantist like view of the bible is that it refuses to accept the Bible as like a great piece of literature. And that sucks because it is a great piece of right. literature. And and whether you view the stories as absolutely true or metaphorical or allegorical or whatever, uh, you no one no one that gives an honest reading of the Bible can ever go, well, that just sucked. Okay. It it doesn't. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an incredible book. You don't necessarily, even if you read it and at the end you go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure I really understand the message or, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can really follow this Jesus guy or not. I hope you do. But if you don't, then you at least, I think, would take away from it like that was it's a pretty epic story. There's a lot going on in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that reminds me that you, in addition to being, um, our Patreon Discord uh, resident guru uh, and a constant um, source of support and in you know an invaluable part of us launching the Patreon, uh, you are a weekly presence in our weekly patron Bible study. Yes, and your perspective has been amazing, and and you always share these these great um, these great ideas and and inspire great conversation and. Um, it has just been a, a blessing to to be able to talk about the Bible with you there too. Oh well, thank you. It's uh, that this, the whole Bible study group has definitely has definitely been a blessing. I I talked about that group that you know I had when I was in college and early on when we started doing these like these Patreon Discord Bible studies. I told uh, I told my wife after like the second one. I was like, this feels like that group again. I like I haven't felt this way <laughs> in a really long time. <laughs> And so, yeah, no, thank you. Um, I'm glad I'm still, I'm glad I can still talk about it in a way that's interesting, that's interesting to people. I'm glad I'm, you know, that I have some, I have the confidence to share perspectives again. And it's been very fun being your Discord admin. (laughs) I guess that's a story that's worth, uh, worth telling that the entire reason I'm here is because you were on Twitter, like, help, can anyone Discord? And I'm like, (laughs) and I just replied to you, I was like, I I admin a couple of Discords and and now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, well, I mean, that's a miracle. That's God working in a way that I, I didn't expect. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, thank you again so much for that. And, and I think that I would encourage anyone who's listening, if you're, if you're on the Patreon, um, that to join us, uh, or we join Wednesday nights and, and talk about random passages. Sometimes they're very related to the conversations that we have the week before. And sometimes we just go, well, that was a bummer. Let's talk about something happy next time. And, uh, no matter what, it always inspires a great conversation and, um, lively personalities. And it's, it's a very, very fun group. Indeed. <laughs> so into first Corinthians six. Yeah. Uh, what made you want to want to suggest this? <laughs> so it was it was an interesting process trying to figure out what verse I'd want to talk about because, like I said, I'm kind of 
relatively recently getting back into like I'm reading the Bible regularly <laughs> and like studying <laughs> it regularly. I've been li- like I've been nonstop listening to, you know, like spiritual podcasts and reading like Christian books and like, you know, I've been in the I've been in the Christian world basically nonstop, but studying the Bible is something that it took me a while to get back in, and I'm relatively new to it. And this is a verse that pops into my head a lot, and it's kind of funny. One of the reasons that it was at the top of my mind is because we use a passage from this in the rules channel on our on our on the Discord server. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you're not, for those not on the Discord, the rules channel starts with the verse from this that says, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful." And <laughs> that was uh, the beginning <laughs> of the rules, and we joked about like making that the entirety of the rules um but uh it's more specifically that passage is why this is a passage that has always stayed kind of at the top of my mind and it was one i had been thinking about and there was a few others i could have picked that's like oh well this passage is important to me and this passage is one i've always thought was cool but this was like the most recent one that i had like been thinking about because we talked about it and there's just a lot like in this section that I find just really interesting. Um, on top of that, first Corinthians and like first and second Corinthians are my favorite, are my favorite books in the Bible. Like, um, just the extent to which the, I don't know, the pastoral atmosphere of Paul's writing is just on full display here. Cause like the, the, the books are a fun one to study because it's amusing to me that, for all of the letters that we have from Paul, you know, like he, this guy probably wrote letters daily, you know, like who knows how many of his books we have lost over time, but we have two full letters to the Corinthian church. There's a reference in this one to a third one, and there's some scholarship that first Corinthians might be two letters stuck together. So like in the scope of all of the things that get lost to time, we have, we have reference to maybe four letters to the Corinthian church. And it just amuses me like how much of a dumpster fire this church must have been for Paul to write so (laughs) many letters that four of them survive out of all of the things he wrote. And there's just so much to, there's just so much to chew on in first Corinthians because Paul is having to put on his pastor hat, like as hard as he does in any of his books, because he's dealing with like, specific doctrinal questions they have. He's dealing with squabbles between church members. He's dealing with larger, you know, larger theological issues. And like, there's just such a practical side, a theological side and Paul's frustration is, but, and his love are just so tangible throughout it. It is just one of the most fascinating like documents like on earth to me. And this passage, (laughs) I think in addition to just being one I had been thinking about, there's several things in here that, both show his like pastoral wisdom and just like how he was handling tracking this new movement. He's trying to get off the ground. And then there's a hint into like how complicated and interesting his ethics are in here. And I just think there's a lot going on in here. And so it's just, it, this is a, this is a fun chapter. <laughs> yeah. And first Corinthians as a whole is a masterpiece. Like most of Paul's letters, it is um, complicated. It is a detailed it has a lot of um, has a lot of rules. <laughs> it has, a, has has a lot of um, warnings, and and it's it's almost kind of a defense in some ways because this was a church that had it in in parts of the church kind of turned away from Paul, and so he was not only like asserting his um, authority as um, you know a, a messenger of the gospel, but he was also saying like, look, 
we are all part of this body of of Christ. Like we are, we are here to do one thing, and that is to worship Jesus, to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. You know, like this is this is the most important thing. So yes, please listen to what I have to say. But ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, (laughs) let's focus on what's actually important here. Right. And that's like, that's one of the reasons it's such a fascinating letter and like how masterfully he does this because they wrote him a letter that I'm sure was just like, a disaster of question. I would love to read I that know. letter. God, I wish we, I wish we had <laughs> the letter that he was responding to because it sounds like, you know, there was a bunch of factions building and everyone's like, hey, you know, we're the original Paul group. Like, yeah, but we think Apollos is better. And then, you know, all the other sub factions are appearing. And then they seemed like they had a lot of questions about how often can we speak in tongues? And then can I sit here? Cause this guy is better. So he should sit at the front and just these, um, this amazing, web of difficult and petty questions they probably had and (laughs) watching him duck and weave between answering their questions so they don't get mad at the letter but then also weaving in the much bigger point that like hey the questions you have show that y'all don't get it yet (laughs) and it's it's beautiful and I've talked on the show a few times about wanting to go to seminary and possibly um, like becoming a pastor or a priest in some capacity, um, the more I hear uh, pastors talk about that as an actual practice and, and as a as a vocation, uh, the more I hear about the drama that goes on <laughs> in church planting and how small churches often just completely um, dissolve because of this this kind of infighting. This is not a unique problem to this time in the burgeoning Christian church. This is a problem that will exist, has existed, and, and exists right now. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And, and this first section of six, is it's almost comical yeah. because it creates this scenario in your head where all of these believers are, are suing each other. Yep. And it's great because like the research around how like law like lawsuits then it's not like they were going to, you know, a little stuffy courtroom and lawyers in the background arguing about things like a lawsuit in the, you know, the Greek time. Like you, it was it was a like it was closer to a Judge Judy show than it was, you know, tight legal proceedings because you were in the county square. You know, the people argued publicly, there'd be hundreds of jurors sometimes like it was a show. <laughs> and so, you know, this uh, it was probably not good for their reputation that this was happening. Yeah, it was a it was a spectacle. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was something that people would go to see as like entertainment. They would go to the trials and they would they would watch people be, you know, be convicted in one way or another. And um, <laughs> it's that's something, again, that carries on to. Our lives today, I mean, obviously this is kind of a dated reference, but the the way the world, uh, the U.S. in particular, was uh, absolutely enveloped in the O.J. Simpson trial in the 90s and and how like legal proceedings uh, of celebrities in particular, prominent people or prominent groups have become like this this, uh, uh, wagering (laughs) fodder. It's something that people literally bet on now. (laughs) And so Paul is warning against this at the beginning of six saying, don't. Man, what are you doing? Stop yeah, so, yeah. So basically, this whole this whole first passage, the the first like bullet point in this section is basically that y'all should stop suing each other. And he has a few different points for why Christians should not sue each other. And I like I kind of like rank them 
in the order I find them like least to most compelling as far as the point he's making. The first part, like the weirdest point I think he makes, like in that opening, he says, don't you know that we will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try civil cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels? And so this first point he makes is a weird one that I feel like probably went over well with the Corinthians, given the kind of like weird puffed up posturing that they probably had going on based on the responses he's making. But like as far as like if you're trying to carry this case over to today, this case that you shouldn't sue each other because at the end of time, we're going to judge everyone else because we are better at knowing what is right. And so therefore, all of our decisions are better than everyone else's decisions. And so they can't make good decisions for us. And that's just we like that's a weird I don't know. There's weird, like, supremacist vibes there. It's just, it's a very strange point. Like, of all of the ones that, like, have wisdom to carry over for us, that's the one that feels the weirdest to me. Also, like, his point of, don't you know we'll judge angels? It's like, um... I didn't. I didn't know that. Paul was. That, um, <laughs> was that supposed to? Be, was that common knowledge in his day? I feel like there's a book that got dropped somewhere because that's um, <laughs> that was not what something that was so obvious that I feel like you should lecture me for not knowing it. That's the thing about this passage is that the way it's framed is very weird because there is a passage in I want to say Matthew that refers to before Jesus um, uh, goes to be crucified, he makes mention of you know like we will be you know you will sit with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in you know, in heaven, you will sit with me, and and I think right. they kind of ran with that and went, oh, so that means just like Jesus will be the judge of people uh, at at the end, we too, because we're going to be sitting, we're going to be like whispering in Jesus's ear and be, <laughs> being like, I don't, I don't like the look of this one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's going to be some like post apocalypse Nuremberg trial where like we are well, like all of the saints. <laughs> We're just judging everyone else for for the crimes committed throughout history. It's a really strange image, and I don't know. Maybe there's a reason the founding text that he seems to be referencing there didn't survive. I think. I mean, I think that it's also weird that this is a church that is characterized by its suffering and by its persecution in the world that it lives in, and that Paul's appeal to them is, "Don't you know that we're going to be." Someday we're going to be judges of the entirety of humanity. We're going to judge. We're going to judge the angels. Uh, like, is that really the point you want to drive home right now? <laughs> that when these people are being boiled alive, like that. This is this is not to me a compelling argument. Yeah. So the uh, the second point I had written down is that I think uh, is getting into like really interesting wisdom for today is that he has this point that it looks, you know, that it looks bad for us because we know with the with the fact that these trials were public and that they are trying to, you know, through their words and through their deeds, kind of convince everyone that this gospel thing and this Christian community is the community. And so when you're hauling each other in front of the, you know, the tribunals and everyone in town gets to watch you argue over, you know, like, hey, you're, you know, your your cat knocked over this vase and you should pay for it. And like with that, with that being the kind of things that the church is getting known for is these kind of fights in the public square. He's like, hey, we are doing a thing here and you're ruining it. Because it's like, this is bad PR, guys. Like, in a lot of Paul's letters, the PR spin is an interesting one to watch. And just like how in tune he is with when everyone's watching this, 
what does this say about the community we're trying to make? What does it say about the basis of our community? And he's like, if we're supposed to be building this new community based on radical love that Jesus modeled for us, like, why are you going in public and fighting about stupid things? That's a message, though, that I think is the most compelling sermons that I hear today, at least as far as like self-critiques of Christianity and of Christians, bring this point up because we live in a, in a country or in like Western culture that um, presupposes Christianity as the way that we do things. And it allows a lot of people, um, allows a lot of Christians to kind of throw their weight around and act as though like the way that people perceive them and the way that they are a reflection of the, the church of Jesus, the way that we are a reflection of Jesus's love, uh, it puts that aside. And it, and it says, well, you know, that we're in power already, so we're not really going to have to worry. It's like we're already judging the angels, right? And that's not, that's not true. Uh, the end time hasn't come yet, as much as it sometimes feels like it has. <laughs> it hasn't. And so, like, we absolutely should be reflecting on ourselves, looking at into ourselves and saying, is this the way that I want to project myself into the world? Is this the way that I want people to see me as like a, a fussy, litigious, um, like conniving? Uh, <laughs> right. it, it's, it's a bad look. It really is. Yeah. And then on top of that, especially with, you know, the situation therein, it doesn't parallel quite as nicely to our you know, our situation because, uh, you know, Christianity is not the um, oppressed, persecuted minority that it was when Paul was when Paul was writing to these people. But when he was writing on top of that, like with how many people, you know, around them wanted reasons to crush the movement they were doing, there's a lot of people looking for reasons to discredit the movement to begin with. Like this feeds them ammo. And it's interesting how it parallels to conversations that I think go on a lot in kind of the public square of like different marginalized communities. Like I watched a YouTube video recently by um, Melina Pendulum, and she was talking about how like black or queer circles respond to art or respond to missteps. Like, how do you criticize what we're doing without just giving people who hate us more ammo to you know to to act in bad faith and yeah and you know I, I think about it every time kind of like a lefty youtuber or something steps out of line and all of twitter gets the pitchforks out and drags them and then inevitably you see the right-wing media being like ah look the left's eating their own again and just you know <laughs> not without without making it about any political uh, point in general just that like if there's already people with targets on your back like fighting like this and publicly denouncing each other it it it, it hurts it hurts the movement because there are people who want to argue in bad faith and that is something you have to keep in mind when you're when you're in public when you're giving this image like think about it's paul saying you know think think about the movement we're doing here is getting reimbursed you know for the guy knocking over your mailbox worth you know, worth getting this target on our back even further. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it happened to Jesus too, right? They had yeah. to find a reason yeah. that he deserved to be crucified. So they were always, they were looking for a reason. They would always try to, the Pharisees would always try to trap him in these logical puzzles, which he would always kind of shrug off or make like a, almost like a half hearted joke about, uh, and then lay out some parable that kind of completely destroyed yeah. their 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 puzzle and but that's true i mean 
we don't live in a society anymore where Christians feel vulnerable. Their their faith doesn't feel as though uh, the world is bearing down on it when it absolutely is. But what we don't see is that it's not bearing down on, Christians are not being tortured in the way that they were at this time. Christians are being tempted and Christians are being destroyed by a world that is just bringing them every indulgence and every um, negative habit and every self-destructive thing that they can possibly do and encouraging them to do it. It's bringing them towards it and saying, well, here's what you do now. And that's when all of a sudden you look and you see pastors falling, pastors doing these terrible things, church leaders, um, you know, story after story of, of people that are supposed to be beacons of the word that regularly, completely fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting to go there because one of the one of the things I had noted as I was reading this and thinking about it is that there is kind of a weird abuse potential in this concept as well, because with Paul saying, you know, don't sue each other because it makes the makes the whole movement look bad. When you talk about these pastors that have fallen, you talk about these pastors that are abusive, like this concept also gets used to shut up victims. You know, like if you, you know, if you are a pastor and you are abusing one of the members in your congregations, like I can see how easy it is to bring out, you know, like, hey, don't get the authorities involved. Go to the elders, because if you get the authorities involved, think of what you're doing to the gospel. Think of what you're doing to the mission. <laughs> and I know like that that was, uh, you know, that was that's a, that was a source of a lot of hurt for a lot of people. I know is when they had concerns about the way things are run, when they had concerns about, you know, abuses of varying degrees. They saw this sort of like, hey, you know, think about the witness is used to shut people up. And like, that's just, that's as interesting and as like insightful as that, as this goal Paul has here, like that all, that also just scratches at the back of my mind. Like, you know, like we definitely can't take this too far because we do also have to think about how, you know, the lawsuit that Paul is talking about is not the legal system we have today. So like, I don't think the point here is, you know, literally never get the legal system involved. No, it's not don't snitch. He's not saying <laughs> don't snitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's these are OK. And that's true. That's a very disingenuous reading of this passage. That is not what Paul is saying. Yeah. Here. The, 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 the phrases he keeps using. Six uh, one says when one of you has a grievance against the other, um, the the passages one um let's see a dispute to settle a dispute in verse five uh he's talking about civil issues he's not talking about crime he's not talking right. about people being murdered or raped <laughs> or abused in any way that's not what paul is saying like if if someone tries to kill you talk to the rabbi first no <laughs> i i really don't and, and, and obviously the legal system was very different then and it operated in a very different way and and i'm sure there are complexities to this that i'm missing but I really don't think that what Paul is saying in in the heart of his message is if a if a crime occurs if you are physically or mentally like permanently damaged don't go to the legal system for recourse uh go to the go to your peers in the church it that feels and it is it's absolutely leaves open room for for a a, a bad reading of it just flat out bad reading yeah and i guess 
I don't know, the ability to say that, like, I mean, like, literally, that's kind of what it says. And I don't know, in kind of my intro story, like, I'm so glad that I am not scared to take that kind of wider, like, let's think about this wisely approach to this reading. Because, like, there was a time when it's like, well, it kind of technically says we can never sue each other. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the crux of the, the argument here is that, like, if you have an issue with your brother, don't grow to hate your brother. Don't send your brother off to be to be in prison or to be killed. Talk to them because you love them, because they love you, because we are all part of this loving community of believers. Not uh, not don't snitch, right. <laughs> which I think is um, yeah, it's easy to to take that the wrong way. Yeah, and so going into kind of some of the other points that he's making here, uh, the next kind of argument I see him making for why to not get, you know, the Corinthian courts involved in the church issues. Um, this is I this is the more interesting version of the we will be judging them one. And that's when he goes into kind of their values. So like when he is saying, why do you want their opinions? Don't you know that the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Like, I, I think that's less of a technical argument and more of a he's like, look, these are the people like the reason you're interested in this movement that we're doing, the reason that Jesus's message was compelling to you, the reason that you are fighting for this group is that you're trying to be better people. You're trying to shift your desires away from what is good for you to what is good for everyone. And that's why he lists that the things of unrighteousness where he says, like, don't you know that these people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God? The Like the, the secular Corinthians are not inheriting the kingdom of God because they're sexually immoral. They're swindlers. They're thieves. You know, they, all of these things he lists are exploitative, selfish things. And so, like, I like this image of like, also, like, what do you care about the court of public opinion? Their values aren't your values. The fact that you dragged them in front of, you know, this jeering mob and they ruled in your favor. Like, who cares? Like they <laughs> like the their their system is set up to accomplish different things than the system we're trying to set up. Why do you care what the secular Corinthian mob thinks of if you're right or not? Mm. And I think it like it's that one's harder to port like one to one over like an application now. But I just. I love that perspective of like, why do you care about the people you think are wrong? Like, why do you need their approval? So like, why does that matter to you? <laughs> the, you uh, so we're talking about verses nine through 11 here, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, what's your preferred translation of the Bible? Um, so I do a lot of my reading in the, I'm doing a lot of my reading in the ESV right now. Um, I was in ASB for a long time. ESV is kind of the current one I'm reading. Um, and then uh, I, uh, the voice was a fun one that uh, your show introduced me to, so I'm always checking what that says. Oh, I love the voice, and and I want to br- uh, well a little bit later I'll bring in the message because the message in um, from twelve on has some wild stuff going <laughs> on. But I want to read nine through eleven here, and then I want to talk a little bit about how the translations kind of messed with the uh, conceit that Paul is creating. And then also why this is an ineffective clobber passage for right. people that want to use this to convince like gay people that they're going to help. Uh, so verse nine says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Um, Powerful language, right? So he sets up a list of, in the original Greek, 10 sins. Uh, and that number is, is I feel, significant, um, given that 10 as, as a number in the numerology sense uh, brings to mind another great list of, of things that we're warned against. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we can all fill in the gaps there. Um, the ESV and the NIV and a couple of other translations do something funny with this because Paul, in all of his bizarre um, wisdom, separates uh, the act of homosexuality and specifies that both the active and, I don't want to say passive, I'll say both the giver and receiver of the homosexual (laughs) act are uh, uniquely sinners, but are both sinners. And so that is what creates, there's nine in the ESV and and NIV, and I think um, some of the other sort of modern translations, they don't separate that. They, they use um, men who practice homosexuality as like a blanket term, but it kind of erases that connection to Old Testament law that would have been common knowledge at the time. The way that I see this as like an ineffective clobber passage is that right away in verse 11, he, Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. This is not saying anyone who does these things forever and ever are cursed and will never inherit the kingdom of God, will never be part of our community, will never be true believers of Jesus. Um, Simply saying that those that give themselves over to sin at this time, these sins, very common, uh, these particular acts were part of the society of non-Christians or non-Jews, I guess, as it were at the time, Um, but they were common and they weren't a death sentence. They weren't something that wrote you off permanently. It was simply something that happened in the world. Uh, And it was something that if you put a bob of people together who are there to watch a very entertaining trial, (laughs) there would be, if you threw a a rock, you'd hit an adulterer. If you threw a rock, you'd You'd hit a, a a top, and you threw a rock. You'd hit a bottom. You know, it's. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be using this language on a Bible podcast, but it it's it's so bizarrely specific that he felt the need to separate those two things. But he, you know, he lumps it in like Paul usually does in these passages that people try to use against anyone in sort of a sexual minority group. He lumps it in with a bunch of other sins, saying that. Homosexuality is not a unique sin. It's not something that is that uniquely horrible or uh, uniquely uh, inhuman. It is something that is kind of naturally wired into some people, uh, be that uh, something that is uh, part of our fallen nature as human beings, uh, part of the society that we grew up in that maybe um, causes us to act in ways that can be harmful to us. You know, this is, again, strip slippery language because then it kind of implies that inherently all homosexual activity is going to, if you continue it, will lead to uh, to damnation. But uh, I just feel like those people that take these kinds of passages out of context do it in a way that totally ignores the fact that this is not, 
this is not uh, something that makes you burst into flames. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the way uh, the way I read this and the reaction I have to it is that I get some of like I get the I get the point you're making. I get the point that people say when they're quibbling with the translation of how like the word Paul used for the top here is a word he kind of made up and, and only really, like, really <laughs> seems to appear here. Like there were other Greek words used for uh, for the givers and receivers, and it's he used weird words for it. Like I like I, I get I, I get and appreciate uh, some of those some of those arguments. I think it's tough to argue that Paul would like if you brought him today and showed him a happy gay couple like that he would be like oh yeah no that that rules that's cool. Oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> Under no circumstances, no. Right, like so. So for all the points of like, you're like, well, that's not what he was talking about. Like, I still don't think, like, I don't think he would think it was cool. But part of that is because Paul didn't really think any marriages were actually cool. He thought they were a weird, like, unnecessary, a weird necessary evil that some people had to do because they were so horny that they would not be able to focus on the gospel at all if they didn't get married. Um, I guess the way, like, the way that I kind of react to this is that. Kind of like I was saying at the beginning, Paul is making the point of, like, why do you want the Corinthians judging over you? They are abusive, exploitative, selfish heathens. (laughs) And (laughs) as part of that, he gave a list of activities that, to him, uh, illustrated the fact that they were selfish, abusive, exploitative heathens, because like most of the things he lists are like are exploitative in some way. They are like the sins he's listing are selfish. And like he was making the point of like these like, why do you want these selfish bastards telling you who's right and who's wrong? And so like we can quibble over the language and what he was thinking and why he was thinking it. I don't like I don't think the point was here is that Paul had supernatural insight into the list of all activities that are or are not sinful, you know, <laughs> like that he was giving. Let me pick 10 from the list that God gave me of these things that are worth naughty points. Like the the, the fact that he probably thought homosexuality was weird and selfish and not productive and is something no one should do. And so he includes it in his list of things that are examples of why the Corinthians are bad. I don't, I don't lose sleep over it because that's not like, that's not the point he was making. And so like the fact that I think like, Oh, that was a weird one to include. Like from his time and his perspective, I get the point he's making. And I, I don't, I don't read it as okay. Well then now this is a list of, absolute physical actions that are worth sin points for the rest of time. (laughs) And it displays, I think like you're right that he had sort of an inherent distrust of like sexual relations between human beings, because this whole, this whole next section is essentially saying that like sex uh, is (laughs) sex is like food that gets you fat. It's a very bizarre (laughs) analogy. Can can I read the whole thing? Because I want to go go from 12 to 19 and just, And then we'll go back and talk about it because it's such an odd, oddly written passage. At verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me. That's in quotation marks. But not all things are helpful. And again, quotes, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's another quote. 
Paul responds, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Exclamation point. (laughs) Verse 16 continues, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He really wants everyone to not have sex, I think, ever. <laughs> because it's too, it's a slippery slope to him. I think that's honestly what, like, the argument that he's kind of making here is that, that like, look, I know that it's, you're capable of this. I know that you're able to do this. And I know that it's, that it's sanctioned. But is that really what you want to be doing with your body right now? Yeah, this whole, this whole passage is, like, simultaneously, like, really beautiful and powerful and also really baffling because <laughs> um, yeah there is such a weird obvious hang-up on like paul has a, a hang-up about sex and it's pretty obvious like in all of his writing there's i don't know there's a few like interesting things that stand out to me here the first one's like just starting in 12 the all things are lawful but not all things are helpful I have this one, at least in my notes, I have this as its own entire bullet point. Like I have like I read this as a three bullet point chapter and like just this sentence is <laughs> a bullet point for me. Mm. Um, uh, just because and we can uh, we, we'll finish talking about the, the sexual morality part and probably come back to this. But just to pause there that the I don't like that's a bold claim he's making and he's quoting it, which is like the. The I think the translator is trying to say, like, well, he's not saying this, saying this. He's quoting something the Corinthians say, but he's still not denying it. (laughs) So he's saying all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And that is him pointing to kind of what he's going to get into later when he talks about food offered to idols. And like, look, like none of the things themselves have like weird mystical wrongness about them. But we need to think about what's good. We need to think about what helps, what makes us thrive, what makes the kingdom grow, what what shows Christ to the world. And then the second part, which is where I think it gets into kind of his uh, his weird sexual hangups, when he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And this is a, <laughs> like, appalling ethic that I don't think, like, gets talked about a lot because it's kind of weird. Like, Paul puts this really high value on like self-actualization and like these like sober-mindedness decision-making and like just the realization of your true self outside of any external influence is like a gold standard ethic for Paul that we kind of gloss over because it doesn't like jive as well with kind of the rest of the gospel messages he's bringing. And this feels like a very Greek thing he's bringing into it. Like, oh, this domination of self also is a, is a virtue unto itself. Like being sober, and making a decision by yourself 
Like that's a that's a virtue. Anything that's stopping you from doing that is a sin. It it's very like ascetic or whatever. Yeah. He, he he feels as though self control is a sign of spiritual maturity, and it is. I think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, in that it prevents us from committing um, committing sins that can be harmful to our souls or can be harmful to us. But it's like his absolute like inability to recognize that like some pleasures of the flesh may <laughs> in some way be okay with God. Uh, I heard of really interesting. Uh, I listen to a lot of the, a lot of sermons, and we talk about this in Bible study. Um, so I heard a really interesting sermon about this passage, and it likened, um, well, as a born again Christian, or as like a Christian that believes that like the Holy Spirit is within us, it, within each one of us. This is part of our relationship to God. That Jesus is with you at all times, and Jesus is in the room with you whenever you're doing anything. So you need to act as though Jesus is watching you do everything. And then I thought, but what if you're married? <laughs> <laughs> Does Jesus excuse himself? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't mean to be heretical, but I needed to. Yeah, I needed to sneak no. one in this week. I hadn't gotten one in, <laughs> right? Yet. Yeah, no. And like that was um, in in youth group. That was a uh, a technique that was used a lot to teach about um, teach about these subjects. Like, hey, if you're tempted to jerk off. Remember, Jesus is standing right there. You know, like if someone walked in the room, you would stop. So just imagine Jesus walked in and then you can stop. And like that leads some weird places mentally. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> if you try to trying to put that into practice, you'll get a you get a complex from that. Paul's expectations of human behavior are extremely high. Yeah. Uh, what he what he sees to be like good moral Christian behavior is and I've said this before, and I think I said it earlier, it feels unattainable. It feels like he might have been the only one in the entire world that was able to follow his own rule book. And who knows if he even did, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, like all signs point to, if you read, if you read like the Thessalonians specifically and some of other Paul's writing and early church writing that he was coming from a place of like, Jesus is coming back and the new kingdom is getting set up like maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and so I think some <laughs> of this urgency makes sense in that context. Like if a meteor was going to hit us next week and like, we were like really close to finishing building the shield to stop it. Like, hey, yeah, maybe can y'all stop fucking for uh, two seconds and help? Like, <laughs> you know, like in, in this, in we this, we have con- more pressing things to attend to here. Yeah, and like, you know, like, the, like the evidence is good from the writing that Paul was anticipating an incredibly urgent return of Christ, and that you know that plays into his ethic in a lot of ways, and so I think that's worth keeping in mind. Um, but I do also want to. Uh, I guess throw him a bone here a little bit in that one of the things I do actually really like about this passage and one thing that I think gets glossed over in kind of the, especially in like a secular mindset or just kind of in like this kind of post, you know, the, the post-Christian world that a lot of people inhabit now of, I do appreciate Paul's like such heavy weight that he puts on like sexual encounters and sexual activity and like the, the union of two people and how, you know, like this is not a small act for him at all. And it's worth like, I, I do think that like, while yes, like 
obviously like the Christian purity culture has done an enormous amount of damage. And like, uh, I think pretty much everyone of our generation and younger it like has some kind of trauma about about mm. some sort of purity, like something they've been taught and pretty much spent, you know, our entire lives growing up thinking we were, you know, dirty perverts. But it it is worth like keeping in mind like how uniquely damaging like sexual misbehavior is you know like if you've been violated sexually that is a psychic spiritual wound that nothing else like touches and it and like just the power of the power of this impulse the power of this pleasure is something that like you know it's worth thinking deeply about there's a reason it has inspired you know let's say what like half maybe more than half of like all art that's ever been produced is inspired by sex in some way (laughs) you know like you know it is worth like you know it's worth like knowing that you're playing with a very powerful thing when you are (laughs) uh, you know when you're like like it's a powerful topic (laughs) and we definitely have gotten weird thoughts about it and it's been damaging and we need to walk it back but i don't know i like i appreciate the I appreciate the weighty language. I pretty I appreciate the poetry that needs to get involved when he talks about it. And it's it's tempting nowadays to be like, wow, what a weird prude. But, you know, there's yeah. it's, it's not like there's no point here. He has a you know, it's worth the the warning is worthwhile in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And and I think maybe my giggling and my being glib wasn't the best <laughs> way of displaying that I do think that like sex is a powerful act and it's serious. And, and I think that, um, anyone that has either like had that used against them as some sort of weapon, uh, in their lives or has been abused in some way, or, um, has had health issues because of, uh, you know, the ramifications of, uh, you know, being sexually promiscuous as judgmental as that sounds, uh, would know that, it's not something that really can be um, can be toyed with without there being some real um, consequences. And so, yeah, I don't want to make it seem as though I'm just saying, oh, what this is just a joke. And and everyone, everyone, even if you're a Christian, you just go sleep around with whoever. And that's not a big deal. I, I, <laughs> that's not the message I'm trying to spread here at all. <laughs> I do just think that it's like um, it it has very like foreboding language about the act itself. Yeah. And it, it turns, um, it turns all human sexuality into like a dangerous thing. And, and that's not really how it ought to be in a lot of ways. I, I did want to bring up, cause I said I was going to do this, the message translation from 12 through nine. I'm going to read through the okay. whole thing because it is, <laughs> it's a wild ride. And the message says at verse 12, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. 
There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that are that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another? Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. I... I mean, like, <laughs> I, okay, first of all, I love it, actually. Yeah. But no, me too. How, the, how did they come up with this from what I just read in the ESP? <laughs> I, I don't know, though. Like, I think, like, I think they get it. I thought that was really good. The nuance, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. The nuance of it all is completely lacking in the, in the translation we were just uh-huh. reading from. Yeah. And this complete, what we were literally just talking about. Yeah. This gets it. Yeah. And that's where, like, God, oh, my God, I love that so much. Um, <laughs> see, this is, I just, I need to go back and reread the message, because all of my opinions from the message reformed when I was in my reformed phase, and so I was, like, really turned my nose up at it, and I, that's probably something I should go back to. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, like, and this just, I don't know, this exemplifies how, I don't know, how I was able to be honest about the world I'm living in and the things I see and still love Paul because like, I love the observation that like, Hey, your body is sacred. Like let's think highly of ourselves. Let's, let's attribute sacredness to our bodies, to each other's bodies, to this community. And let's think real carefully about what we let guide our decisions here. And so like, while I think, you know, we would disagree with Paul, probably a lot of people nowadays about what that means of the actual list of things that are and are not good ideas. Like that's it's such a beautiful perspective. It's such like it like that's the heart that makes his writings endure for so long, because like that beautiful high view of your body and of each other. But not in like the weird, selfish, hedonistic way that, you know, the that he attributed to the surrounding culture. It's just beautiful. And it is like it's there's such wisdom in like keeping that in mind as you think through things, you know, because like (laughs) it's like, yeah, like I don't agree that like. You should only have like you should have as little sex as you can manage without sinning because you know, if you get too into it, now you're distracted and now something else is ruling you. But like there's wisdom in like being thoughtful of the things that take over you habitually. Like I do a lot of thinking about the fact that like, you know, like I get twitchy if my phone is not in reach for more than 30 seconds at a time. And like, is that good? Like, I don't like surrendering this part of my, you know, my mind of my body even because it is like a physical habit as well like even if i don't you know ultimately like decide to like ah phones are bad i should get rid of it like it's worth keeping in mind when i notice something 
controlling me, quote unquote, like as hung up as Paul was on, I will be mastered by nothing. Like it is worth observing the forces that act on you. Like, are you doing the things you want to do? Are you being the citizen of your community that you want to be? And if not, what's pushing you in the direction you don't like? And it's beautiful. And I, I love that's why I love this book so much. <laughs> it's fantastic. And and if you can set aside the sexual aspect of the language here, this high minded view of our our bodies as like not just a gift from God, but like a vessel through which God is carried. It makes me want to like run a mile and do some push ups. I know. To be I really, <laughs> it really does. Um, did you have any other thoughts on this before we wrap up? I, I, gosh, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, this was good. Um, I did just, uh, just real quick, like a couple of bullets I had on the all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. This is a theme if you like follow the Corinthian letter. There's this sense in which Paul is almost like he's a little hesitant to start getting some of the loftier stuff because there's earlier on he says things like, look, you guys think you're really mature and can handle all the spiritual truths. You're not. The the weird questions you're asking me are proof that y'all aren't there yet. So I'm still feeding you milk. I am still giving you the basics. But like he hints, he hints at these like wider truths when he talks about like, you know, like, hey, okay, you and I both know that idols aren't real. And so, like, all food is fine. And then he says here, even if it's a quote, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And I just love the freedom and wisdom and spiritual maturity of this as an ethic of like, look, in a vacuum, like a thing is probably not good or bad. What is it doing? Like, is this helping us thrive? Is this not helping us thrive? Is this pointing to Christ? Is it not pointing to Christ? Like, that is the actual way you judge if a thing is good or bad. And like, I love that he I like I love that he like lets that slip here almost of like this kind of like ultimate ethic that he has that I think ties a lot of the weird things he says together in that like and he's giving a lot of these when he gives specific do's and don'ts, the extent to which he's giving these do's and don'ts to this group because they need this right now because it's what's going to help them grow. And like, I just find that particular passage so telling and so beautiful and mature. <laughs> I remember in our youth group, there were like rules over the leadership team. And like one of the rules used to be like, if you're on the leadership team, no R-rated movies. And they were ended up making like so many exceptions to this rule because like, OK, well, this one's technically OK. And this one's I remember <laughs> the youth pastor calling a meeting saying, hey, we are revising the rules. We are removing the rule of no R-rated movies. The rule is now don't watch things you shouldn't watch. <laughs> and like, like that makes me think of this passage of like, okay, look, you are mature. You, like do things that help and don't do things that hurt. Like, and let's figure this out together. And I love it. And I just, I don't know. I've, th this passage, that's the reason I put it on the rules page. And it's the reason that like this came to mind of a verse to talk about because like, I don't know. I feel like understanding this, was a step to like me having the freedom to read and dissect and be wrong and try again in the way that I have now. That level of discernment in a culture like ours, in a world where we have more freedom than ever, ever we have more freedom uh, of access of information and more bodily autonomy and more ability to act in any way that we want to than ever before. It's so important too to remember that 
not all things that we can do are things that we should do. And it seems like such a simple rule, yeah. but, <laughs> but just because we're free, just because we're free to do something does not mean, does not mean that we should be doing that thing. Yep. And it sucks in a way because like, it's it nice. Like, it's nicer if you it can just, sucks. it's nicer if there's just a list of things I can't do. When you gotta just make, make it me, simple for yeah. me. But I, me. I don't like those rules either. When someone makes me a, a rule list, I don't like them either. So <laughs> uh, maybe I'll never be satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you have anything you want to plug before we wrap things up here tonight? Um, not too much. Um, I I have a blog. Uh, like I said, I am dipping my toes back into being a public person again and just kind of writing my thought, writing my thoughts down. I currently only have one entry on it, and it was the big like coming out post I made when I. Uh, it was a two part coming out post of coming out and saying like, Hey, so I am in a very different place spiritually than I was when you guys last saw me write something 10 years ago. And then I was also when I came out as transgender. And so it's a big gushy emotional post. Um, it's the only one right now I plan to write there more as things come to me when I get a little more, uh, free time. Um, but I post, uh, I post there whenever I'm, whenever I'm on a podcast or whenever I have an article somewhere. So um, that is uh, it's based on my screen name. That is skip sandwich DX.com. So skip and sandwich the words and then DX deluxe.com is my blog where I will write some musings and you can see other shows I've been on and whatnot. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes too. Great. Thanks. And also um, you should join the trans regret Snoopy presents the Bible Patreon and come chat with me and Snoopy on our discord. We have fun. I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. Please. (laughs) I know that it's not possible for a lot of people to, to do, you know, subscriptions on Patreons. And, and I also know that some people just aren't interested in that. And I, I, I want everyone to enjoy this show as much as they have before, I, in no way does the launching of the Patreon mean I'm going to give any less to the free episodes of this show. It is my absolute joy in life right now. So I um, thank you all for, for listening. I had an odd thing happen to me on my way home from work tonight. I was walking by a bookstore and there was a pile of free books and most of them were like um, uh, cookbooks and um, self-help books from the 90s that are no longer relevant and things like that. But Tucked in with all these odd uh, books was a copy of the Lutheran Book of Worship, and it was taken from the St. Anth- uh, Andrew Lutheran Church in Vancouver, Washington. It's pretty beat up, but I flipped it open to the, to the section of prayers, and there's a prayer in the first uh, section of occasions. There's a prayer for, for unity in the church, and I thought it was so fitting for— um, for this. So before, before I read our poem for this week, I'm going to read this little prayer from um, the Lutheran Book of Worship. God, our Father, your son Jesus prayed that his followers might be one. Make all Christians one with him as he is one with you, so that in peace and concord we may carry to the world the message of your love. Through your son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I was about to get Pentecostal here uh, in that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Mm, in the background. But. <laughs> uh, this week's poem is by uh, Norman Duby, and it's from uh, his book, Groom Falconer. Uh, the poem is called The Fish. 
A pale woman is cradling a large red fish that she's stolen from the hospital kitchen. She stands in the bright garden in the cold wind. Black water lilies are gently wrestling her to the gravel's edge. In the struggle, she kisses them on their mouths. They say sadly, Alice, Alice. Grasping her red fish at its banded anus near the black spines of the tail, she knocks them unconscious with it. Even in their drowse, the water lilies trouble Alice. Her boss, Mr. Calvin, has had surgery, is dying now. In the freshly plastered solarium, she'll be out of work by morning. Her sister thinks they are going to lose the house. Alice was praying for a miracle. They drilled holes in his skull, and the red fish has fallen in with the water lilies into the small pond. It shivers, breaks to the left, leaps into the air, and then, without a thought for Alice, swims toward the bottom to sleep in the mud. Thanks, everybody. Fall.